You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Sit on down at the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. Happy weekend to you. A very busy weekend for the White Sox as they will play four games in what seems like less than three days because they play at like 10 o'clock in the morning on Monday. They got a split doubleheader on Sunday because of the, the bad weather on Friday, and they've got the game on Saturday. So it's going to be a very, very busy and very quick weekend in Boston. And hopefully they can at least come out of it with yet, like, another split. I mean, it's all the team's doing right now is splitting, but most of Major League Baseball is doing that, right, Ed? Yeah, well, and that's early on in the season. You would rather split than just completely fall behind and fall behind and fall behind. And let's face it, if you can get in and out of Boston with a quickie, you've done good work. I would prefer on road trips if they split, I'm fine. At home, I want to do more. I wanted that last game against Cleveland in that four-game series. I, I wanted that last game. That sucked they didn't get it. The night before, though, I got to witness a no-hitter. And I'm, I'm going to tell you something right now. My track record with no-hitters is really screwy. I had tickets for the perfect game. And my wife that day talked me out of going because we had not had a date night. And we had recently had my child. Uh, we had had one of the older kids way back then. Right. I th- you know, Dominic's 13 now. And if, if memory serves me correctly, he was a little guy. Or it might have been when Audrey was really little. But one of the little one of the big kids was really little when that happened. And she talked me out of going with my uncle. In the seventh inning of that game, I got a text from him saying, I hope this makes up for the Burley perfect game. I hope you get it. I mean, we didn't get it. Right, but but right. we came very close to it. I witnessed a Francisco Liriano no-hitter against us. Oh, okay. I watched Gavin Floyd get his broken up. I was at the ballpark when that happened a few years back. You mean when Brian Anderson should have been in the outfield? And I also witnessed the Andy Hawkins no-hitter. I believe that was on July 1st, 1990, with my friends. That's going back, yeah. Sitting behind home plate. We were right below Hawk and Wimpy. They were slapping high fives with us when Danny Tartable dropped that second fly ball. I think he's the one that made all the errors out there. Where the White Sox win the game... But Hawkins threw a no-hitter for the Yankees, and later on, like a decade or so later, baseball took that away from him, which is a travesty. The man threw a no-hitter over every inning he was allowed to pitch, and it was taken away from him. As far as I'm concerned, I watched the no-hitter that the pitcher lost and threw a no-hitter, and I thought that was incredible. But I've never seen the White Sox do it in person. I got to do it with my daughter, and I'm going to tell you, another magical night at the ballpark. Yeah, that was one of those where I had an opportunity to go based on the way my schedule was going to be. I was not going to get to the ballpark on time. So I left it up to, uh, it's basically, it's my, my cousin's husband has the tickets, my brother-in-law. Uh, you know, we were all texting and I'm like, I, I know I can't do it. So I was hoping my brother-in-law was going to take him up on the tickets. And apparently at the last second, I, without me noticing, none of us went. So we're all texting each other during the game. And about the seventh inning, we're like, hey, are you at the game? He's like, no, because you guys couldn't go. I didn't want to go by myself. So we cost somebody. I cost somebody watching a near-perfect game. but And a no-hitter. See, that's the thing. And a no-hitter. I, I feel bad for Rodon in the fact that the headlines 
nationally were Rodon misses perfect game gets a no no. I saw that on several right. websites. Like CBS Sports had it like that. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait, wait. if he would have plunked the guy in the second inning, it would just be like no hitter. But it's got to come with this caveat that somehow he he screwed up. He didn't screw up. The guy threw a no no. It was incredible. And I want to quote something that you wrote on the mismatch socks blog that I loved because I think it sums up for everybody. And we've all had very strong feelings about Carlos Rodon. I've had very, very strong feelings so, yeah. about Carlos Rodon. I did not like the fact that they brought him back because I'm like, this guy can't stay healthy and he's never been able to put it together. Turns out Don Cooper never figured out maybe we should use the lower part of his body. You know, maybe maybe it was the coaches and wasn't so much Carlos. Maybe Carlos actually can be unlocked by Ethan Katz and we just put this in with all the other things that Ethan Katz is doing that makes him a miracle worker. But you said this perfectly his stuff looks different. His approach is different. His health is so far different. And after nearly perfecting it all on April 14th, 2021, the fan opinion about Carlos Rodan deserves to be different. And for this fan, it is, and that's perfect. That's from your, your last entry on Mismatch Socks at SocksInTheBasement.com. By the way, Socks in the Basement brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Phone number's right there on the label. You can go to FAMWS.com. Tell them that we sent you. Tell them that you heard about them uh, on Socks in the Basement. You get a discount. They're for all your waterproofing needs, all your foundational issues, anything going on in your basement, in and around the house. Give them a call. They will help you out any job, big or small. But I thought that was brilliant what you wrote there, Ed, and I wanted to make sure I passed it along because that's how I feel. I feel like I had every right to question Carlos after all these years where things have gone bad for him, and now I have every right to say, He's a different pitcher, and I'm and, and I'm rooting heavily for him, and I'm pretty excited for him right now. Well, and I, and I didn't write that lightly because if you go back through all the mismatch socks that I've written this year, there's a lot of me picking on Carlos Rodon and picking on the signing of Carlos Rodon, and I did not like it. I was with you. We talked about it on the show. I didn't like the re-signing because I I thought Rick Hahn was just being lazy and cheap when he did this, but. The hope was always that there was something there that they saw or they knew something about his rehab after all the surgeries or Ethan Katz kind of went to them and said, look, you know, I see something here I can do with this guy to really unlock the potential. And when you watch him pitch now versus when you watch him watched him pitch in the past, the way the ball is coming out of his hand, it looks way different than it used to. And you're seeing hitters respond to it. So much differently. The, the, the Indians looked lost. And granted, they're not hitting the daylights out of the ball as it is. But they just could not figure out what he was throwing. They were missing the changeup. They were missing the fastball. And they were missing the breaking stuff. Which means that when it's coming out of their hand, when it's coming out of Carlos's hand, they're looking at it and it's not until it's right on top of them do they realize what it's doing. And that's why they're sitting there staring at it or they're swinging badly and missing. The, the Eddie Rosario swing, I don't know if you could see it from your vantage point, but Rosario's last strikeout was being openly mocked by Steve Stone and Jason Benetti because it was such, such a lousy swing. I mean, he basically fanned at it in a way that you you don't see major league hitters ever, ever do. And that's, I mean, that's a testament because you did not see that kind of stuff from Carlos Rodon to Eddie Rosario is not a bad hitter. I mean, it's not like this was Josh Naylor or one of the younger guys that, that may not be anything in the future. Eddie Rosario is a guy that Sox fans wanted patrolling the outfield for them this year. And what's amazing is the White Sox, and let's talk a little bit about what you just said there. Not everybody's hitting very well early on in the season. 
One of the big arguments that people are having right now on White Sox Twitter, across social media, I see them in the Facebook pages, anytime that I'm looking at when we post the show, people have comments on it. They're very upset about how the White Sox are hitting as a team, and it's a valid concern. But on Friday afternoon, while they're not playing their game, I take a look at where they compare to the rest of Major League Baseball, and they're dead center in the middle. They're the 15th best average. They're the 15th best OPS in the league. They're they're an average hitting team early on in the season. The majority of teams are sitting at 7 and 6 or 6 and 7. It's the beginning of a very long season. On the other hand, they're very fortunate they have an insane pitching staff. They have the 6th best earned run average in all of Major League Baseball. They have the 4th best whip, walks and hits per innings pitched as a team. They are putting 1.06 base runners on per inning. That's incredible. And they have the third lowest average of opposing teams against them with a 199 batting average with only the Indians and the Brewers actually doing better. And both those teams are 7-5. The Sox are 6-7. and seven. The bats, I think, are going to come around. I, I, I don't know what your feeling is on this, and I'm curious. Tony La has got to find a way to start unlocking White Sox hitting. My feeling is pick a lineup and stick with it for five or six days and just give all these guys an opportunity to know this guy hits in front of me. This guy hits behind me. This is where I hit and I can see if I can get it going. Then, then tinker after you see the results of that five or six days. Well, that's where it's headed is figuring out a lineup. And I think the tinkering that you've seen early on has been a couple of things really. One is you've got one guy who is your best hitter who was not expected to even be a guy that was going to start, and that's your mean Mercedes. And so you got to figure out where does he fit into this thing. In the middle of your lineup. It's real. Yeah. I'm watching well, this. This is real. Lineup, this is 100% but... real. It's Oh yeah. It's glorious. It's incredible. It, it's it's amazing. During the Rodon game, the thing that nobody probably knows unless they were in the stadium is there was like one guy out in left field, and he would just go, yer, and everybody in left field would yell, mean, and I was in right <laughs> field listening to this, and they were so loud, and then they would just get quicker, yer, mean, yer, mean, yer, mean, and they were just screaming it out there throughout the entire game, like he's a folk hero already, in a small crowd, like people are really getting the chance going, and he's the man right now, that's real, he's in the middle of the order, he's your DH, he plays every day, and so then to me, after you watch the fact that LaRusso wasn't afraid to keep Andrew Vaughn in left field during a near perfect game and that became a no hitter, and then he made some great plays, and then he made that play at the wall the other night, th- that guy is probably a better left fielder than the guy that was out there in Aloy Jimenez, who, who now might not be the best left fielder on this team when he returns to it. I had kind of written about that as well in one of the one of the recent blogs where you know the Sox really have a problem. Uh, with your mean Mercedes creating a bit of a logjam where they weren't expecting it. And eventually Eloy Jimenez is going to come back and you got to get him in your lineup. So you're right. Your mean, your means real. And you're not going to take that guy out of the lineup easily. And Eloy is not a good outfielder. So you're going to be careful about what you want to do there. But I think what, you know, what you could be building to here is, if Andrew Vaughn continues to show that he can handle an outfield role, 
then that is his role going forward. And he hits. He's got a hit still. That's the thing. I mean, he's had a few He's had a few hits. He's not doing very well right now, average-wise. His, his on-base percentage was around 400 a few days ago. It slipped. It's slipping. He, he, yeah. And the thing is, he needs more consistent at-bats, and we got to find out what he is. And the only way you're going to figure that out is if you either go with him every day or you send him down to something like AAA and you let him work some things out, and then you bring him up and you go with him every day because the piecemeal thing isn't doing him any good, and it's not doing the team any good either. No, and and so I think we're back to the original point of, of going with a, a, a set lineup every single day. I do think that that's what we're building to, and I think what you're going to see is when Adam Engel comes back, he is going to steal a few at-bats here and there. I think Tony's going to continue to give guys days off you know, as he goes here. But you're going to see basically the same lineup and guys in the same position. I think that's going to include Andrew Vaughn as the starting left fielder. And if he falters completely, if he really just never picks up the hitting pace, if if he's just not getting it, I think they'll send him down because that's what you got to do with a rookie. If he's not picking it up in the majors, at, at some point you got to get him down there and you got to get his head on right and and bring him back later on. You know, I get muscle aches all the time. I've gone from being able to do whatever I want to and not feeling any pain to basically getting pain for any kind of physical activity. Good news, there's a local family-owned Southside business that provides a CBD topical that will not break the bank. Creaky Bone Balm offers concentrated relief for creaky bones. It is an effective hemp-based CBD in a rejuvenating balm. And guess what? It's made in small batches always free of preservatives and all natural ingredients. It's great for muscle aches, tension, inflammation, joint pain. You can even use it for skin ailments like burns and dry cracked skin. Right now, go to creakybone.com and use the promo code BASEMENT. Get 20% off your order. And now check out the new 2,500 milligram balm with reduced pricing on their classic balms right now at creakybone.com. Umpire scorecards has become kind of an obsession for me. I know other people that follow the White Sox, follow baseball, are starting to find this Twitter feed. It's at ump scorecards and the creator of it, Ethan Singer, on the line with us. Hello, Ethan. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm great. I appreciate you joining us. So, you sit down and publish a scorecard for every home plate umpire across Major League Baseball every single day. What goes into the scores that you're putting together about the accuracy of the umpire and that total score at the end that that determines how many runs that umpire gave some team over another team? You give a plus minus in favor of one of the teams in the matchup. How much work goes into that? How do you figure that out? Each day, the work that I have um, is is not too much. Most of the work for me is on the front end, uh, developing the metrics. But at the moment, my work looks like I wake up and I press run. And this program that I've written goes and gets all of this data from the MLB splits it up into all of the previous day's games, calculates all the numbers, makes all the graphics, generates all the tweets, and then tweets them all out. Um, and I try to I try to get not flagged by Twitter as being a bot. Um, that's, <laughs> that's part of the process. So you're working, you're working smarter, not harder, because what you're doing is you figured out a program that breaks down the accuracy of the umpire and then spits out all this information for people to kind of digest. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. That's awesome. So 
when when I look at what happened during the Carlos Rodon no-hitter, the near-perfect game, and Doug Eddings is behind the plate, for anybody that's never seen this before at um, scorecards, Doug Eddings gave the White Sox, under your formula, .28 runs. It was more in the White Sox favor than the Indians favor, but that's a very even score. Like, I have seen some of them where an umpire is responsible for one run, sometimes two runs. I saw one already this year, which I was laughing at because that's insane. So your program figures out whether or not the umpire had a real impact on the game. Essentially, it's just you can break down the game of baseball into the the more conventional practices into 24 different um, possible situations in terms of who's, you know, how many people are on base and how many outs there are. So there can be, you know, either zero, one, or two outs, and there are eight different possible orientations of who can be on base, you know, first and third, bases loaded, et cetera. So that makes 24 different uh, possible, they call them uh, base out states. And so, you know, one thing that you can do is you can say from each of those positions, how many runs is a team expected to score? So from no outs, bases empty, a team is um, I think it's around, they're expected to score around one or one and a half runs, something like that. But obviously, no outs, bases loaded, it's, you know, they're expected to score two and a half runs, something like that. So I started with that idea, but instead of just looking at uh, how many people are on base and how many outs there are, I also looked at what the count of the at-bat was. And then that makes 288 different situations. And then using data from last season and two seasons before that, I just looked at, you know, in each of these situations. So, you know, a one and two count with two outs and a man on third, for example, how many team, how many runs is a team expected to score? And then, so for each bad call that happens in a game, I looked at, you know, how many runs would they have been expected to score if the call was correct versus the actual call that was made, how many runs are they expected to score now? And whatever the difference is between those, I say that's how much the umpire either helped or hurt uh, the team that he was calling the pitch for. And then so for all of the calls in the game, I add those values up and then I, I total it. And, you know, sometimes it, it comes out like there was one today where it was plus zero. It was exactly even for both teams. And there are other times when it'll be, you know, a one run game and it'll say plus two. Um, and they'll have, you know, made a, made a much larger impact on the game. And your program adjusted for every single pitch, every time somebody moves on the base paths. Somebody steals a base instantly, it recalculates, okay, now that there's somebody on second instead of first, and this is the count at this point in the game, uh, now this is what they should get. And then when a bad call is made, immediately it sits there and says, that affected the game by this percentage, and eventually you get a big total at the end. The thing that I I love the most about it is, you not only show the accuracy of the umpire, but you'll talk about consistency of the umpire. Like, Eddings in that game with Rodon was 98% accurate, but he was 100% consistent, meaning the things that he called for one pitcher, he's calling for the other. His strike zone might have been slightly off, but it was a consistent strike zone all night long. Yeah, so last season when I started this, I did not have any measures of consistency, and that was my biggest, my biggest piece of feedback, I would say. Um, so now what it does is it essentially, for every strike that's called, um, it, it basically makes a, makes a, it's not exactly a box, but a, a polygon of, of what 
you know, the, the strike zone looks like according to this, um, according to this umpire in this game right now. And so if a ball is then called within that strike zone, you say, oh, well, that's inconsistent with how the umpire has been so far. And you can see in last night's no-hitter, there were, you know, there was not a single ball that was called inside of the, you know, inside of where other strikes had previously been called. You know, and that, that's really important, um, especially for a pitcher. You know, you might, you might be able to say, well, it's not that good that, you know, the umpire is not following the exact technical rule book on, on where the strike zone should be. Maybe he's given the pitcher a little bit of the inside, you know, to right-handed batters, et cetera. But to know that if I throw a pitch in one location and then the very next pitch I throw a pitch in the exact same location, they will get the same call. That's, you know, so important, especially, you know, if a pitcher is trying to throw well, or pitch well, uh, that, that, you know, that's just, it's crucial. Do you know who the worst umpires in Major League Baseball are after looking at this for so long? It's Angel Hernandez, isn't it? Is it Angel Hernandez or is it somebody else? Yes, it's Angel Hernandez. (laughs) Everybody who watches baseball knows he's the worst, except for him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really a wisdom of the crowd type situation. There's a reason why, you know, you if you gathered 100 baseball fans and you said, do you know who, you know, Joe West is? Have you heard of C.B. Buckner, Laz Diaz? stuff like, you know, people like that, they would say, yes, I know who that is. But if you said, you know, who's Pat Hoberg, who's Doug Eddings, they would have no idea because their names simply do not come up uh, because they're not the subject of intense scrutinization every time they're, you know, behind the plate. Any plans to uh, tell Major League Baseball you have a better system of evaluating umpires than they may have? Is this a is this a long-term thing for you that you might knock on their door one day, uh, you know, figuratively, and kind of be like, hey, maybe you guys can find out more about your umpires? Well, you know, it's interesting. The data that I get is from the MLB. Uh, so they release the data, and then I just analyze it. So I assume, you know, at some level – they are reporting um, on themselves. And I mean, from what I can tell and from what I've read, their metrics give a lot more leniency to their umpires, which at least, you know, from my understanding is could be a reason why there's less, um, I don't know, it doesn't seem like there's really any sort of reprimanding uh, from the league against umpires who, uh, you know, are consistently very bad. Uh, but right now, I don't really have a plan to to reach out or anything. I have a lot of, you know, very angry people who read my tweets who, uh, you know, tag the MLB and the MLB umpires uh, union. <laughs> so you're telling me they know about you. <laughs> um, it, it is certainly possible that they have seen my account. Yeah. Although I haven't been blocked by them. I've seen some other umpire accounts that have that have been blocked by the the official umpires association, which I have not. So. Hopefully we're still on good terms. That's awesome. Uh, one more thing before I let you go, Ethan. During Thursday's game, right away in the first inning, there was a play at second base where Adam Eaton slides in. He's clearly safe. And the shortstop lifts him off the bag. And all four umpires miss it. Is there any plans down the line? Is there any way to measure the other umpires in the field? Is it something you've thought about? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly something I've thought about. It's a lot more difficult. I mean, right now, the the only reason I'm able to do this is because I can automate the whole process using, you know, what information I can get from the MLB. For each pitch, I can get its, you know, precise location, and then I can map that onto a 
strike zone and see if it was, you know, in the whether it was in the strike zone, if it's a strike, and if it's not, it's a ball. Um, but for other plays, I would have to, you know, for for example, that specific play, I would have to go look at it myself, you know, decide somewhat subjectively whether it's an incorrect call. At which point, I could say what is the value of this missed call. But it it would at this point, I think it's a little out of my uh, out of my reach. This is Ethan Singer. He has come up with a great system. As you can tell, it's automated, so he's clearly a very intelligent individual, and he's found a way to get a scorecard for each and every umpire, each and every game, each and every day. And if you want to follow that data, if you want to laugh at Angel Hernandez, if you want to see after a game whether or not your team was really jobbed by the umpire behind home plate, follow on Twitter at UmpScorecards, and you will get that data each and every day. Ethan, thanks so much for jumping on Socks in the Basement. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, guys. Uh, Dean Lyle just wanted to say that jumping off the cliff, he had no concerns with bullpen whatsoever. Once the starters go past the fifth inning, I think LaRouche is going to start establishing who's going to be his sixth, seventh, eighth, and then finally his ninth guy. So right now you just have a bullpen that's just kind of scrambling. On the hitting side, man, it's so great to see Yerman, the German Mercedes. I've been pushing for this guy for the past year and a half, and I'm just imagining if he had been our DH last year instead of instead of Parrot Boy, we would probably have a World Series championship ring. On the flip side, oh, man, it infuriates me to see a 23-year-old kid take a middle-out fastball and out around this thing every single time. And I'm talking about uh, Yohan Mankata. He is not a number four. This guy should be hitting seven, eight, maybe even nine in the order and tell him to bunt the ball. If he starts to hit the ball in the shift again, take his gold chains away. Last week, Sox in the Basement was out at Cork and Carey at the park. You can check that episode and every episode that we do out everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SoxInTheBasement.com. It's on demand on every podcast player you can think of. But you can head over there whenever you'd like to 33rd in Princeton in the shadow of the ballpark. They're open every day, not just on game days. You can actually book Cork and Carry at the park for your own private Sox viewing party. And they're open for business as well with an incredible menu. They got the award-winning burgers, the ballpark food. Look, there's been some good stuff and bad stuff I've seen so far inside of the ballpark. There's been times where I've seen them run out of food early on as they're trying to figure out, you know, how they're going to do this with everybody segmented in the different sections of the ballpark. Things were actually a little bit different, how the ballpark was spread out and segmented and how you could go get food. It was slightly different the second week than it was on opening day because I've been to two games now separated by about four or five games in between. The White Sox are still figuring this out, but you know what's for sure? What's going on over at Cork and Carry at the park? They got great taps. They got lots of different beers. They got a full bar, and they've got great food. Check them out, corkandcarryatthepark.com. And, Ed, Major League Baseball's got some real problems, uh, and, and they're just making it worse right now. This idea of the runner on second base, I'm not even sure whether or not it's an advantage anymore for the home team because think of the pressure that's on the home team when the other team actually gets the ball first. If you're going to have overtime like that, it's almost like football. You'd want to actually hit first, maybe, because of the amount of pressure if you're already down by a run. It might change your strategy. So I'm not even sure if it's a good thing, this guy standing on second base. I don't like it. You want to do it? Wait till the 12th inning or 13th inning. They're trying to talk about speeding up the game and getting things right and possibility of robot umps and all this stuff. But then Adam Eaton gets literally pulled off a bag. Yeah. 
And that's not reviewable the other day when clearly everybody in the ballpark from every camera angle, anybody watching at home could see that that was an illegal play, but they can't go and look at that to get the call right. You know what baseball fans want? They want the game to be played the correct way and they want the winner to be the team that deserves it and they want the calls to be right. And right now, Major League Baseball is not providing that experience consistently. Now, you're going to run into more and more problems as you try and just take it from the traditional what the ump says goes, okay? When you introduce instant replay but things are not always reviewable, you're going to have those problems where you're going to have something like the Adam Eaton incident. And you're going to have issues as well where you're going to look at you know, what an ump is doing calling balls and strikes or how well that, you know, they are uh, doing their job night in and night out. And you don't want to make it about the umps and you don't want to sit there and say, okay, well, now as a manager, do I need to game plan for this umpire because I've got all this data or do I just let my pitcher go out there and do what he does best and we'll just let the chips fall where they may, which is the, you know, the way it's been done forever, right? I don't know that I like the ability to scrutinize an umpire more, but it does really show you exactly how much they do impact the game. And, you know, when you do get screwed over by an umpire now, it's so much easier to sit there and say, that was so obvious. How come he didn't catch it? Why isn't that something that was overturned versus something like the, uh, you know, the perfect game that was broken up because the guy was out by a half a step and everybody could see it. And the ump for some reason called him safe. And afterwards is like, I don't even know why I did that. What the hell was It was wrong the Galarraga game. I remember that the one. The Galarraga you know, game, yeah. I'm going to end this show on the most confusing, strangest, weirdest, oddest thing that I witnessed all week long, Ed. And I'm going to go back to the Carlos Rodon game. And there's a guy on the other side of the aisle from me who's also in the front row. And I find it really funny that, like, they spread out all the seats and literally we were just separated by an aisle. <laughs> like I see all these it's, it's spread a out things. wide aisle, but it's we're not literally six just feet. like it doesn't bother me. Like I'm not that bothered by it, but I was like, who who came up with this seating plan? But anyway, the entire game, this guy's talking to me. We're we're talking about the game. We're talking about how good Rodon's doing, everything else like that. The White Sox bat in the bottom of the eighth inning, and as soon as they're done hitting, and Rodon's going out there with a perfect game still intact, he grabbed his whole family of five and headed for the door to beat traffic. No. I'm not even lying. He just no. was like, all right, let's go. And they just, they they all filed out. They carried their little seat cushions, and they they walked up the aisle. And I turn around, there's a guy like three rows behind me, and he's got this look of like, what the? And I'm like, do you think they know that there's a perfect game? And he's like, they got to have absolutely no clue. They have, they, they've been literally watching a game this entire time, and they have no idea what's going on in the game. Not one single drink between any of them throughout the game. They were stone so cold sober. They're not even part of that. What is it? Like 42% of Sox fans who have said that they've missed games. Stone cold sober. No idea there was a perfect game going on. Um, Is that a side effect of the COVID vaccine? Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.